Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dope Black Podcast. This is the Dope Black Dad Podcast. My name is Marvin Harrison. Uh, today, uh, I am in sunny South Africa. It is uh, 22 degrees. It's warm. The sun is out. Uh, I'm joined today by my personal financial guru. He doesn't actually even know that he's that. I just follow his videos. <laughs> and I kind of know what I'm talking about. Uh, Ken from Humble Penny. How are you, Ken? I'm good, man. Good to see you, bro. How you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, you know. Um, I've got a big challenge for you that I'm going to share with you later. But before that, mm. like I, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for contributing to our book. It was a really powerful and important contribution. Um, it, one, one of the big things is always money. It's my thing. My thing mm. is money. Like I, okay. I accumulate lots of it and it all goes right back out the door. <laughs> um, and so I've had to learn to save before I spend because mm. my, my needs are ever expanding. I have a lot mm-hmm. of people that I hire and look after for things that they mm-hmm. need and you know, I'm constantly providing director loans to my own companies to facilitate mm-hmm. more greater experience for my teams. Yeah. And it just inherently means I have lots of technical value in my companies and my assets, but I actually have no yeah. money myself. Every, every, everything wow. just goes there. And so I realized that like the other day when I was like, oh, actually, if I have to start again, that could be a problem. But your contribution was really, really useful because it gave mm. a bit of a framework. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be great to firstly just hear more about your journey to finance like you you know i know that you've got a bit of a personal story as to it kind of yeah has synergy between your personal story and what you do now mm-hmm. uh, what what is that story okay first of all huge uh obviously you know i'm a huge fan of yours i love this podcast and thanks for uh, inviting me to contribute to the book uh, really excited to see it get published uh in terms of my personal journey um Money is a really a big part of it because I was born in Lagos in Nigeria. I lived there to the age of 14, moved to the UK with my mum and siblings to join my dad who'd moved a few years before us. And when we got here, it was a huge shock because there was we had nothing, basically. And we also, not only did we not have nothing, but we didn't have the rights, you know, the necessary rights to get what everybody else does as a citizen of the UK. So that meant we had to kind of start from from below ground zero as a way to try and figure life out. And when you don't have money, you get you learn to be very resourceful, which is a word my mum uses a lot, uh, and enterprising. You learn to try and figure stuff out. And so I've always had this desire to create a whole different life for myself one day. You know, as someone who started with nothing, as first generation to this country, I always w- wanted a different life. And um, that desire has been a big part of what has uh, 
almost um, driven me, whether it's through my career or whether it's through the the type of, uh, you know, the partner I have, you know, in my life now, my wife, I've been married to for 11 years, or whether it's in terms of the decisions I've made about money and the relationship that I've, I've built with money over time. All those things have been influenced by wanting a better life in, 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 a, in a phrase. I wanted to be financially independent. I wanted to get to a place in life where no matter what happens, no matter how bad things are, I never, ever have to stress about money, never have to think, oh my God, like, how am I going to pay that bill? Or like, you know, my kids are struggling or um, I don't know where the next, you know, money's going to come from to pay the bills. I wanted to get to that place where, in my own words, I took money off the table. I created a simple life and I I was in control of my money rather than money being in control of me. This is kind of mm-hmm. what led to creating the humble penny. That's really powerful. And then just, and just for you, do you think like people's financial challenges are, are more emotional than education? What, 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 how would you weigh it or how would you differentiate so the two things? I would say it's more behavior related. So if you think about where there's this concept of called a behavior gap that we use in our own world, my wife and I, to refer to the gap that exists between where someone is financially right now and where they want to get to. So say, say someone's at the moment is maybe in a lot of debt or living paycheck to paycheck. There's a particular, outside of certain life circumstances, there is, there's a particular uh, set of behaviors that are, that's there's kind of helping that, almost pointing to that person being in that place where they are right now. And to get to a place where, say for example, their desire was to become 100% debt free or to become an investor and stuff like that, there needs to be a radical shift in behavior between where they are and the desired behavior they need to get to where they are. So the goal then becomes, how do you close that behavior gap? You don't close it fully, but how do you reduce that behavior gap such that that person sees progress along the money journey towards where they want to get to? And then like the first thing you talk about is about daring. What what does that mean to dare? Wow. Okay. So (laughs) dare is an interesting one because for me, it's about almost challenging the assumptions we have about money and kind of what role it plays in our lives or in our situations. Or for someone who's in a family unit, perhaps maybe in their own uh, family situation. So we all operate almost with this, I almost think of it as living in cruise control. We're all in this cruising along life. But when I say dare, I'm talking about almost pausing and asking yourself, like in reflection mode, what, what does money mean to me? What is my relationship with money and why does that matter? Um, my behaviors I've got now around money, where did that come from? You know, what, what did I learn from my parents growing up when it comes to money? This is what's known as the money blueprint. What did it, was my mum a spender? And if so, how is that reflected in my life? Was my dad uh, a spender or, or, or not? And how is that reflected in my life right now? And then the other question I'd ask relating to daring is, if I was being brave with my money today, what would life look like? If I was going above and beyond and not just living life like anyone else, what could my life look like? So dare is really a reflective piece to help someone uh, start to think to themselves, well, what should be my next step? forward powerful and then do you so for you it's just like 
What's, what have you been able to create for yourself by being more financially literate? Because I assume you're not just <laughs> saying this stuff and reading it out while being quarter of a million in debt and furiously nah. <laughs> destroyed in life and you have no money at all. So thank you for asking that question because I think results uh, speak a lot louder than words. So I over... Um, first of all, my wife and I became financially independent at the age of 34. What that means is that we have got to a place in our financial lives where the income that comes from our assets is able to easily cover our ongoing expenses as a family. And key to get into that place, one of the key pieces in the puzzle was paying off our mortgage at home that we live in here in Kent, uh, paying that off in a period of seven years rather than a period of 25 years and parallel to doing that, investing in various assets, including in the stock market, in assets that generate income, as well as obviously uh, also putting money into business. We run a nursery business with a few branches around London and the Southeast and property assets as well. So making all those moves from coming from a place where like I had, I had nothing, Marv, like literally my mom, my dad, we had zero. My parents used to do, my mom used to do three jobs working anything she'd go from one where she was washing dishes and plates go to the next one where she would be um working on a checkout and go to another one at night and then come back after working like 16 hours a day going from that place and being the child of, of that woman to a place where we are now for, for us a huge huge achievement and this is what's really motivated what we're doing today to try to empower other people to take control of their money and create a life that they want as well and then, like, what, what about your your children? So, like, obviously, this is a dad's podcast, so everything is centered on what we're doing for our children. Like, mm-hmm. what what do you teach them? So, ironically, we I had a, a Starling Bank. We did a campaign with them um, recently. Hopefully, it's out by the time this comes out. I've just <laughs> bleeped something. Um, but uh, we did a campaign with them, which was to basically put our children, Ocean and Blake, four and six, uh, in charge of our, our finances. Uh, for three days and so I couldn't spend a penny that didn't come from their budget which was £50 a day and I'm going to tell you now <laughs> I lunch at £50 a day which is part of the reason why I have no money um, so you know then there's an episode there's a part in there where I'm trying to negotiate a haircut with my mm-hmm. son and he's like, it's mm-hmm. just like he's like no <laughs> he's like so wow. close to it. Um, and I was kind of proud of him because for me obviously uh, my, my, like my haircuts are 30 pounds they come with massages and 10 wow, massages wow and, you're living it, it up my <laughs> no listen I'm doing way too much and so you know for, for him it was like in his 150 pounds budget he didn't have room in it because the petrol mm. was 25 pounds petrol prices mm. have gone up um, and he needed to get to his things on the weekend and he had mm. you know he's going to go see his grandma and he had shopping he had to get Ocean's lunches mm-hmm. all of these <laughs> things like what what have your children Chris started to how, and how old are they again so uh we've got two kids who are seven and nine okay uh two boys and it's interesting hearing you talk about that because for me I get excited hearing a dad talk about his children and how you know how they're interacting when it comes to money I think it's a mm. powerful really really powerful topic so for our kids it's interesting because teaching trying to teach children about money and stuff like that it's actually not very easy because they come up with like like some really interesting questions so let's say for example i, I was once explaining because our kids have investing accounts and i was once explaining that it's one of our sons that one of his investments was not making money it was loss making mm. and he couldn't understand the concept of loss he's like what does that mean like where's the money gone 
does it mean that the bank have taken it? Like, I don't understand. Mm. Like, where has it where has it disappeared to? And it, it's funny how we assume a loss just means a loss. But when you interact with children, you start to really understand that. And this helps me as an educator. This helps me to almost slow down my explanations to help people who, uh, without making any assumptions, help people actually understand what I'm saying. Mm. So for us, uh, it's been a really interesting relationship with our children because we we, we co-invest with our kids. So by that, I mean, we... Um, we have their junior ISAs, which is the accounts that they invest their money through. But the investments that are in there, we talk to them about what we're doing uh, with the investments. So like literally, before anything's invested into, so we've got some that invest automatically every month into the same thing. Um, we actually talk about it to explain to them what those things are and what they are actually doing. You know, So uh, a few years ago, we started off with buying some individual stocks because it was a very simple way of explaining to children uh, the concept of investing. So they had um, you know, invested in things like Amazon and uh, Apple and stuff like that. Uh, and they had one share each into those, those companies. And mm. one of our kids, his, his Amazon stock's gone up more than, nine, more than nine times in profit. That's more than like a 900% increase in... Uh, in the return on that. And it's very interesting seeing that over time because that's been able to show us the reward of being diligent with your money, you know, to a child. They're able to see, well, actually, if you let something invest in something of value, it can go up in value potentially over time. It can go down in value as well. But, it, you know, if you if you make wise decisions, you might invest in something that, that, that increases over time. So that's been very interesting because they're now able to say, like, they always say, oh, daddy, can I see my bank account? What they mean is, can they see like their investing account and kind of see where it's at at the moment? And I think that's really, there's a lot of joy in that, you know, Marv, because like I never had any of that until I was in my 20s. Mm. Like to put it in perspective, like there was no, I didn't have my parents, I didn't have the foresight of like, oh, let's create a, a kid's investing account. There's nothing like that. I mean, I started off age 14, 15 here. So like it was all about survival for the next uh, decade or so trying to figure life out. So I think us as parents now have such a huge advantage in that, like, we can give our kids that, um, that almost that, that pace ahead in that they have that foot forward. They're able to actually learn about money properly from the start. And they're able to actually start to make decisions about money around things, even things like entrepreneurship, you know, getting kids involved. We teach them what we do with the humble penny. We teach them how the humble penny uh, earns an income because we're trying to help them get, become enterprising and, and connect that idea of enterprising to investing for themselves. Because it's funny you mentioned how, like, as an entrepreneur, you have you create so much value in your business, the business generates an income, makes money, and so on. But then sometimes entrepreneurs actually forget that the business is there to help them personally. They're mm. so into their own business and running their business. But then there isn't a connection, a direct connection between how is this business helping me to also create you know the sort of life that i want what, as well what platforms are you using how are you how are you doing it are there specific child friendly ones or are you just showing them the raw data no so we're we're no 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 we 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 look behind uh behind the, when we log in so we use two platforms and these are not recommend well i have to say these are not personal recommendations they're just ones that we use um so we use one called vanguard um which is just an investment account. And the reason we choose that platform is because it's uh, number one, uh, they are the, the creator of Vanguard. They basically came up with the whole idea of uh, index funds and ETFs, a guy called John Bogle. Um, 
But Vanguard itself as a platform is great because it's cost effective and they have some really good products there that you can invest in. Um, you can obviously look back at past performance and stuff like that, which you know doesn't inform future performance, but you can see kind of how those funds have performed over time. So that's the first one. The second one we use is uh, one called Hargreaves Lansdowne. Uh, which is a bit more expensive than some of the other ones like free trade and you know all those other places um but i use it because it's reliable it's got good technology you know it's got very good app and it's got you know the reason we use that particular one is because you can access all the funds all the stocks all the things you want you can search for them so say i'm in london and i say my kids say well actually we want to buy a bit of i don't know making it up uh, like, I don't know, Google or something, we're able to buy it from Hargreaves lens that whereas if we want to buy specific funds that are Vanguard funds, we need to do it on Vanguard because they only sell their own products. So that's why we use those two platforms. Yeah. But, you know, anyone can use anyone they want, but those two have been pretty reliable for us so far. That's really powerful. And then it, I think, like, what would you say... What's the counter? You know, a parent comes up to you and be like, well, the first thing they might say is like, just let kids be kids. They don't need to be learning about money. That's my my things to be doing. What, what would you say to that parent? I think that's important for kids to be kids. But I think it's also very important to think of money as a life skill, uh, a bit like learning to read or learning to drive a car or, or whatever that happens at different stages of life. I think if you think about our communities, you know, I'm Nigerian, you know, I'm part of the black community here in the UK. Like if you go and look at all the stats, go and look at some data around um, the economic progress of our communities, you know that money is a big subject for our communities. And um, I think it's very important that if we're able to learn about money and teach kids about money from a very young age, we not only create and help kids to grow into not just living life in autopilot, into kind of going into typical traditional jobs, but into building a level of confidence where they have actually mastered money and they're able to make a different type of decision that will will, will hopefully favor, favor them over time and improve their lives. And I think as a community as well, broadly, you know, any, any communities, money empowers people. You know, money is a part of everyone's lives. And so if you're able to help kids understand money from a young age and more importantly, build the right behaviors, you know, it's about those habits and those behaviors. If you're able to kind of understand that every amount of money you make doesn't need to be spent, then you're already winning the battle. Because like if a child's able to say, oh, I've gotten a 50 pounds, uh, you know, I don't know, birthday money and they spend 20 pounds of it, that's fine. And they keep 10 pounds of it. That's fine. That's actually better than most people in the UK. Because if you think about it, the average savings rate in this country is about 8% thereabouts. So if a, a child is keeping £10 out of 50, that's a 20% savings rate. They're already doing better than most adults. So if we can get them to that place where they understand the value of putting something aside for the future, then that already is a huge incentive and a huge preparation for teenage years, adulthood, and so on. So my my um, my formal um, financial advisor <laughs> has said to me that uh, he he basically worked out what it would take for my my family and all my expenditure for six months, and then okay. on the back of that he said save that six months money before mm-hmm. you start investing. So it means that if the stock market goes left, you can actually have a buffer of your own before you have mm-hmm. to pull money out and try to use it. Yep. What, what kind of fail safes have you adopted? Um, to protect what you're investing in so you don't have to pull it out in a low and mm-hmm. how diverse is your portfolio as well? I don't want to go into your business and yeah, sure, create a sure. barrier, but just like how diverse is your portfolio? 
Two very good questions. So the first one about um, protections and um, emergencies and so on, we usually recommend that people keep at least three to six months of expenses put aside. For some people, it, they might need to put aside like a thousand pounds or a thousand dollars as a start, okay, as a bare minimum. But for us, in our own personal lives, we do a year because COVID has kind of shown us, I mean, you know, shown a lot of people that um, not having adequate emergency fund is actually um, a risky thing to do. You need some money that you can access in the event that things don't quite go well. And, and even even then, having money to decide is actually an opportunity. You know, um, like if the stock market went down, there a lot of people see that as like, oh, you know, my investments, blah, blah, blah. For some people, it's actually a good opportunity to buy more because you know that you're investing in good businesses and those businesses over time will create more value and your investments will rise. So having some cash aside is actually good for that sort of stuff. Now, in terms of how diverse is our investments, we think of investing from a global perspective. So when I'm sitting here thinking about like, should I put money into something? I ask myself, how much exposure do I already have to certain asset classes? Like at the moment, we have too much exposure to property. For example, like this house is mortgage free, but I mean, it's a lot of our, our equity is in this property, as well as other um, assets that we that we own or co-own with other people that are related to related to property. So that means that we have quite a big exposure. That means if we're thinking to ourselves, and actually that means a lot of our money is tied into say UK property. However, if you thought globally, a good way to invest would be to say, I'm in the UK, I want to own some assets, say in North America or in Africa or around the world, you can invest through the stock market and buy, uh, for example, things called index funds and ETFs that invest your money globally. So if every one pound or hundred pounds you put in, it will split that money for you and say 60% of it is invested in North America, say in the USA, into those large tech companies, for example, 4% of it in the UK, and then it kind of splits it up for you in different ways. So right now, all our investing is going into those globally focused um, instruments in the stock market that help us invest globally. So that even though I'm here and we might have some local things going on and the economy is kind of up and down, I know that our money is actually working globally. So for the people working in the big companies in America and places like that around the world, those people are actually working to help us create wealth by us doing it here in, in, in the UK. Amazing. And then in terms of like, what, what are the risks of global? Because then do you need to understand what's happening in North America? And like, if mm-hmm. I buy a house in South Africa, do I need to pay attention to like, I don't know, Google news updates for South Africa? <laughs> the president has decided that all houses are whatever. Mm-hmm. Do, how much do I need to pay attention and manage? Cool. So um, before I actually speak into that, I just mentioned that we also have some money allocated to other assets. Like, for example, say learning about cryptocurrencies and we tested it with about 1% to 2% of money to kind of just see um, as part of our learnings, kind of figure out you know, what that's about and how our money could grow potentially by being exposed to that new asset class. But to your point about how much attention should you put, it really depends on um, how, how you invest in those assets. So say, for example, you went and you said, you know what, I like Cape Town. I'm going to buy a property in Cape Town because... Um, I love visiting Cape Town, for example. By doing that, you have local, you know, local bias for South Africa and Cape Town. But putting your money in there, you would have, of course, done you know research into that local market from a property perspective. And you know, looking at historical data, you might say, for example, 
that that property, that er- properties in that area double in value every 10 years, making it up, for example. And so you would know, you know, you know what you would expect, you know, over time, um, roughly. Uh, and, and we know that any ups and downs in that area might just be a temporary thing. However, if you invested in stocks globally, the reason I mentioned index funds and ETFs is because when you invest in something like that, let's say, for example, we currently invest in the S&P 500 in America, which which stands for Standard & Poor's 500, which is the largest 500 companies, equity companies in America. They include all you know, Amazon's, your you know all the companies you know about in America, the big tech companies, Berkshire Hathaway, and all those companies. If I invest hundred pounds into the S and P five hundred, my hundred pounds is actually split across those five hundred companies. So okay. what that does is it's helping me reduce my risk because it's not saying I've put it all into one company. I've spread it across. I've chosen a region, which is North America. I've done spread money across five hundred companies. So that way, even if one company fell in value. Others go up because different companies, because they have different risk profiles, go up and down relative to each other. So my money being across those 500 companies is really well diversified. So I'm not sitting here necessarily worrying at all, unless there's a global thing that affects all the world, like COVID or like a big, some other pandemic, which might temporarily dip my money. And even when that happens, I'm not even worried because I'm thinking long term Mm. as an investor and all I'm doing, in fact, is actually buying more because I know my money's invested in the part of the world where value is being created and I will ultimately get wealthier by my money being exposed to those companies in those mm. parts of the world. That's super interesting. So in essence, focusing not necessarily on individual instruments and lots of like you wouldn't then try and just individually invest in a mining company or electronic car company because then you have to really understand the industry, where it's going, how it's competing with Tesla. To be exactly. To be safe. It's funny you say that. Is a, I, <coughs> excuse me. There's a. Um, I think it's actually fun to uh, allocate a small amount of your money towards figuring, you know, kind of learning how individual companies work, because what that does is it helps you ask key questions like, "What? Why should I invest this in this company?" Okay, like mm. I know it's like the next new shiny object, but like, why should I actually invest in it? What are the fundamental fundamentals of the company? Who are the key shareholders? How has it has it paid dividends out over the last few years and so on? So one one way of actually investing outside of investing in index funds and ETFs is to invest in blue chip companies that pay you dividends, so that you can you know the more you earn those dividends, um, you know the more um, you know you know your your wealth grows over time. You're actually able to create passive income. So mm-hmm. for example, making it up. You know, I know this is going to sound. Uh, like a lot, it's a lot of money. What I'm going to say next, but is imagine hypothetically that you built up a portfolio of you know a million pounds, for example, yeah. And let's say that you earned a a dividend, um, a dividend annual dividend per year of say four percent, yeah. Mm. Every year, four percent of a million pounds is forty thousand pounds. So that would be for somebody who's built up a portfolio like that. A really, really good income because that four percent annual dividend will be enough potentially to cover their lifestyle. They've got a nice, um, quite simplistic lifestyle that they, they they enjoy, but one that actually serves them. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And pretty well. So mm. the point I'm making here is, is that, you know, we need to think about other aspects to investing so and different strategies so for some people it's about growth some people just want the investments to grow over time and for their wealth to build whereas some people prioritize income and say well actually i want the income because i know like in 10 years what i really want to do is not keep work, work, working 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 my goal is to create income and so my focus would be on investing in dividend investing stocks stocks that pay me out a, a good dividend such that as my wealth builds over time so does my dividend income and I have that, you know, sufficient passive income because it's 100% passive and I'm able to kind of do whatever I want, whenever I want. So I hope that, I hope that kind of answers the question. No, it like, really does. And yeah. I, think, I think what's really interesting, so I think, my, you know, my story with money has always been emotional. And so it's mm. always been like, I, I look after a lot of people. And so mm. I'm always constantly using my money as a tool because mm. I, I may have more than others or access to more than others or mm. opportunities. And so using that as a tool, um, without necessarily centering my long-term needs in it. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was only in the last 12 months that I really started to figure out, like I've just given basically all my money away to different things, to companies, it's all this living outside of my mm-hmm. ownership, my, my control, and all of it is being worked within the company. So for any reason mm-hmm. the companies didn't exist, um, a year ago, I wouldn't have had a single thing. So mm-hmm. what I wanted to do is understand, and, and maybe this is for you to probe me more for questions and I'll give you as close to fictional mm-hmm. what, what answers that make sense to my situation. But mm-hmm. uh, they're all fictional, but the point is it'd be <laughs> a lesson that we can learn. So yep. a year ago happens, I'm sitting there and I have literally no liquidity of my own. I have nothing mm-hmm. in my own accounts. I have two companies um, which are very successful in, in relative terms and mm-hmm. are constantly making money. Uh, let's just say they're making 50K each mm-hmm. a month. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't have any money. Uh, and the only asset I have is a house, um, which is worth 600,000 mm-hmm. pounds. And there's still 400,000 left on the mortgage. Mm-hmm. Okay. What the hell do I do? I want to be <laughs> like you when I grow older, which so- is technically now. <laughs> Okay, so very interesting. So first of all, uh, you in that hypothetical scenario are very successful already. You just need to know how to 
convert some of that success from your business into personal wealth. So I would start by saying that um, one of the really important advantages of running a limited company is that you can contribute money into your pension every year and that money is 100% tax deductible. You pay no tax on it. Fully legal. So what am I talking about here? So you can pay up to £40,000 per year straight from your business into your own pension as a director of a limited company and you wouldn't pay any tax on that 40k that you've just paid. £40,000. This is before you've even started investing that money and seen that money work for you. And even more so, this is where it gets even more interesting, if you had a pension scheme set up over the last three years and you hadn't contributed into it, you can pay go back and pay £40,000 per year over those three years. That's £120,000 paid into your pension from your business without paying a penny in tax on it. £120,000. Then you start to invest that money. You can put it into a compound interest calculator and make the assumption that it pays you, say, a 7% rate of return. And you will start to see what that does and how quickly that money grows over the next five years. That's the very so, first so thing. Do you, so do you mean, yeah, that the money that I'm putting into my pension, I can still operate and manage myself personally? Completely. The money that goes into your pension is yours to manage completely. This has nothing to do with a pension company managing it for you. Although if you don't manage your money, this is why this subject is very important. If you don't manage your money, they'll put it into a default fund where they're earning a lot of fees. So your goal is to get into is get completely off cruise control and get completely into the driving seat where you're saying, I want my money to go into this fund. So for example, I'll tell you how I do it in our company. We have a, uh, a pension with Vanguard. We opened a business pension with Vanguard. And from there, every year, as our, our company makes um, income, we're able to decide how to pay ourselves as the directors of the company. Part of that payment is a pension. We make that pension transfer straight from, it takes like two minutes from the company bank account, straight to our investing account, the pension investing account at Vanguard. And then from that investing account at Vanguard, we then choose the investing funds, the funds and things that we want to then invest our money in for that to start to work for us. Yeah, And some of those funds have returned 15% a year, 20% a year. Just like take your calculator and work out 20% of like 120K, you know, that's 24,000 pounds, like every year being added and compounded and growing. So every year that you're not actually doing this as a business owner, you're missing out every time because like you're not taking what's actually due to you as a business owner and making quite good decisions with it. So that's the first thing I'd say is put money into your pension because like you're going to get to that age of 55 quicker than you know, which is when you can access your money. Okay. Um, when you can access your pension money, it's the age of 55. It, it changes to 57 from the age of from 2028. 20, changes to the age of 57. Okay, so that's the very first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is, um, given the scenario, is you now, you now have to choose a very uh, efficient way of paying yourself as a limited company director. And the most efficient way I'd say to pay yourself is to pay yourself a combination of salaries and dividends because that gives you um, the biggest chance of earning a good net income when it hits your bank account. So every year, everybody gets £12,570 of tax-free personal allowance. So, you know, you can pay yourself that 
as you know an element of that as a salary and then the rest of it from that amount all the way to around fifty thousand pounds thereabouts if you chose to pay yourself a dividend you would pay as at today actually started today you'd pay tax on that at 8.75 percent instead of 7.5 percent which it used to be before because the, the dividend rate's gone up by 1.25 percent from the 6th of april uh you know this year so um but 8.5 percent still very low compared to say 20 percent you might pay if you paid yourself that money as a salary it's very important because i know limited company directors who say oh i'm just gonna pay myself salary salary but they don't realize that that's actually a costly move to make because if you do that you're paying 20 percent up to up to around 50k when in actual fact if you were like if you'd just chosen to pay yourself a dividend instead it's a lot less um in, in taxes that you pay. And this is all legal. You can go on you know, the government's website and see just typing dividend rates uh, for limited company directors. You can see the rates there. So the reason I mention this is it then means that you're not paying a lot out in taxes, you know, you know, legally. It's just all set up the way it's been set up. And instead, you're making more contributions into your pension. So notice you're going into your pension, you're paying an amount. Also, you're now paying yourself um, a much more tax-efficient net income that hits your bank account, from which you can then say, actually, I want to put that money into my stocks and shares ISA, which is another type of account for investing your money. So making the income that you're making, say you pay yourself 50K uh, you know, a year as a salary, for example, making it up, um, you can see a scenario where um, you're investing from that net income around £2,500 going straight into your stocks and shares ISA and growing for you. And you're allowed every year, by the way, you're allowed £20,000 tax-free in your stocks and shares ISA. So today, effective today, 6th of April, when I'm talking today, everybody gets another 20000 So if you put money from that net income you pay to yourself as dividends into your uh, your stocks and shares ISA, that then starts to invest and grow at you know the average rate of, let's say, 7%, 8% per year and compounding and growing. So, so just very quickly, so we've got the pension where you put your money first. This all sounds like you're securing your long-term future as a priority. Correct. So the number one thing is pension yep. number first. And yep. I can put 40K a year in there from my business directly, which is fantastic. Yep. And then the second part of that is a stocks and shares ISA. Mm-hmm. And I can put, did you say 20,000 or 12,000? 20,000, 20, 20, yeah, 20,000 20, from there. So mm-hmm. I assume that, that that stocks and shares ISA is for midterm yeah, so that's like some shares that so you can access whenever. You can access today if you need to, although yeah. I'd highly recommend not accessing it. I'd recommend just leaving it, working, working, working year after year. And every year, try your best to fill that 20K if you can. So 20K works out to be £1,667 per month. If you do that every month and fill that up and let that compounding every year, honestly, like in, just think about it, in five years, you put 20K each and that's 100K. But the money you put in in the year one was already compounding at 7 or 8% or more per year. And same as year two, same as year three, same as year four. At the end of five years, like you'll be like your wealth mm. will be at a whole different level because, you know, I'd, I'd even see it as your five year wealth building strategy. Literally do, you know, 40K a year if you can or you know, any amount up to that into your pension and 20K a year. So every year you're doing about 60K invested and compounding for you every single every single month which is hugely powerful honestly within five years you you on a personal wealth level will be <laughs> will be wealthier than most people because um because like most people don't i mean the average millennial i think has something like 
30K or less or 20 something K in their pension. Like that's the average millennial. So even in one year of moving your money into a pension, you already have more than most people have in, have in their, in their whole savings into their pension because of the advantage of being a limited company director in your, in your hypothetical scenario. That's really powerful. And then in terms of the short term, so let's say now that my, uh, my expenditures have all been done and I've secured myself mm-hmm. and I have 3,000 left over liquid, is there mm-hmm. a, a, what mental approach am I taking to the money I have left after I've secured the pension? The 1.2, did you say, uh, for the um, ISA savings? What am I doing with my remaining 3K that I now have? Yeah, so your ISA savings is 1.6. Um, 1.6. So to give you 20K in a month. So um, you've put money to your pension. You now have money hitting your bank account. Now, if you don't have an emergency fund, I'm assuming you have an emergency fund already, but if you don't have an emergency fund, here's how I would split every every pound that hits your bank account as net income. I'll just do it as percentages for that. Hopefully everyone can take and apply to themselves. So I'd put 5% of that towards an emergency fund. So just take 5% towards emergency fund. Um, 15% of the money that hits your bank account, I'd put towards stocks and shares ISA. Now bear in mind, these are, these are guides, yeah? So I'm just giving you guides for, for people to operate on. And you can adjust these depending on your how else you want to operate. Then I put 50%, 5-0, towards your needs. Your needs are like, I need to pay my rent, or I need to pay my mortgage, or I need to like pay for light and heat, gas and electric. You might need a bit more than 50% because gas and electric prices have rocketed recently. So you might allocate a bit more. Um, you might even take some from the emergency fund. If you've already saved the emergency fund, you might take some of that 5% I mentioned earlier and put it towards your needs instead. So the next 10% will be to debt payoff. So I'm assuming here that you might have some debts in your life. But again, if you don't have any debts, then this 10% could go towards your investing. Okay. Then I've put, this is the most controversial one, Marvin. I've put here 5% towards fun and once. Now, I get people like literally flipping when I say this. They're like, What? You're giving me 5% of my net income towards me having fun. I'm like, yeah, if you want to build some wealth, like you need some priorities first, right? So, so I'm doing 5% and bear in mind that this is temporary and this, these can change over time. So I'm doing 5%. The next I've put 10% towards giving. Now, a lot of people go, well, I don't know if I should give him my money. I think actually giving is actually pretty important. You can give in different ways, which some are non-financial and some are financial. I think giving is a... I think of giving as an internal cultural thing. It's actually a good thing to give. And then finally, I put 5% towards growth and risk. It's very important to explore new ideas, to explore a business idea, a side hustle, to explore a new asset class, you know, to learn that stuff. But I think it's good to have like 5% of your money that you can use to explore those new ideas. So in summary, just to remind, uh, break it down again, 5% towards emergency fund, 15% towards stocks and shares ISAs, 50% 50% towards your needs, 10% towards debt payoff, 5% towards your wants and your fun, 10% to, uh, 10% towards charity and giving, and 5% towards growth and risk. So all of that should add up to 100% if I've said it correctly. And remember, this is just a guide. Yeah, So it's not like it must stick to this because for some people, they don't have debts. So they might put the 10% I mentioned towards maybe their stocks and shares investing or towards their fun and their wants and so on. But this just gives you a bit of a guide in terms of where should every pound of my money that hits my bank account each month go? That's really, really powerful. And that's great. For me, I love frameworks because it just allows it to take away from what I think. 
mm-hmm. and it's just reliable. Percentages obviously are great because you have no idea how much people earn. But also mm-hmm. I think like reducing the fund was really interesting and <laughs> doubling that in giving is quite interesting as a balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's funny, I just did my own P&L for my own personal money. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of the money that I spent on like eating out, mm-hmm. um, private member clubs, Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so a time there. Um, the you should, you should invite me. I should come down, Marvin. Let me know. No, you, you, need, you need to come down and say goodbye because it was the last time buying everybody picantes is oh, that's uh, funny. Uh, part of my life that uh, has now needs to stop. But like, um, so yeah, like I think I think all of those things, uh, and I looked at subscriptions. Uh, you know, mm. Apple, Spotify, Netflix, Amazon. Uh, now TV were all active and wow. I probably don't watch very much TV. So wow, wow, I, wow. I removed that immediately. Like, you know, I, going through my life would be a field day for you. Um, <laughs> but like, um, it's really nice because some of these things I'm, I'm obviously definitely going to apply. Some of them I have done, but my number one thing is to cut off a lot of the excess that I do. The only thing mm-hmm. that I do that costs money is travel, really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I eat pretty well, but other than that, like, and, and I think also I found some challenges in like, if I eat at home, I would save significant amount of money. I eat out mm. a lot, or I'm just mm-hmm. too under, not planned well enough. I'm just out mm-hmm. and I'm starving, so I'm just like not planning. Mm. So this is where I think like having somebody help me with my diary better. You know, I need to get a new PA. My PA just got a promotion, so he oh. doesn't need to anymore. <laughs> um, and so yeah, like I think helping all of those things will just allow me to manage my days better and actually put in mm. breaks in my days to be. Mm. So currently, my diary is like back to back. So yeah. by the time I get anywhere near food, it's like I'm already ravishing and it's too late. And so I need food now and mm. there's no time to go. Even even I the idea you. of heating up food, my brain hurts. I need it yeah. to be hot in my hand. Yeah. Somebody. Interesting. So like, a lot of it's based on behaviours and, and just mm. like lack of day planning. It's funny you say, it's funny on the food one. One thing we've been thinking about a lot is, in fact, a friend of ours told us about this. He said, why don't you get yourself a part-time chef? I'm like, what? Really? So he said, if you type into Google, like part-time chef, just type that into Google, you will see that there are people who are, have got the skills to cook any meal you want, but they've got no work. They're just like sitting about. And so he said, look, they charge like, you can get someone like 25 pounds an hour and they'd come in for three hours and cook you your, all your meals for a few meals for like a week. And you can then meal plan. So meal planning, you can say, actually, what do I want to eat in a week? Uh, have the meals cooked. You, do, you don't have the time. Have them put away for you in the relevant bits you need, like in, uh, I don't know, packets or something. Um, and and you probably end up spending a lot less having fresh food cooked for you than you might do spent on takeaways in a week. Um, so that's actually not a bad shout, you know, for, you know, for very busy people who need... Uh, fresh food, uh, healthy food cooked for them. You'd be very surprised that there are many people, even in your local area, who are like looking for you know looking for work they can do on a part time basis and on a regular basis, which also serves you in your needs for for really fresh homemade food. That's really really clever. Um, so I just typed in caps lock get a chef. Um, if you can find a way to make it also affordable for me to have a driver and a private. Yeah, <laughs> if you can work that into the same working logic, I will take those two. I realize uh, that like my um, my weakness is is comfort. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and when I'm so busy, I do so much and I leave it all on the line that by the time I'm done, I have nothing left. So I just need comfort. Wow. I need to be held. I need someone to bring me food to my mouth. Mm. <laughs> I need someone to drive <laughs> me where I'm going. I need someone uh, to take me to the plane that I have to get on. The idea of doing it labory, manually and like efficiently yeah. breaks me. And, it, and I'd rather go to bed. So I, I think that's something that, again, I need to really review is just like having food well prepared mm. in advance. And I, I'm not, I'm not snobby like frozen. I eat frozen mm. like all day, but like if mm. I know it's made for me, it would make me have more desire to want to go and eat it and stay at home and eat it. So I think the chefing is going to get a pass from me. Do you know what? I was thinking there's two things I wanted to mention. So first is like, you know, this whole, we're talking about money thing. Yeah? Uh, and every year becomes more apparent. Like you look around at like what's been happening every year, every year, there's people who you know who are no longer there and you know there's just so many so many of these things happening and a lot of things are related to our health and without health there's actually no wealth there's actually no point even talking about money if there's no if there's no health because like I've known people who are in fact I know people even right now who are struggling with their lives and all that wealth, all that money, all that grind, all that stuff actually means nothing now because like you can't get the health back. So this topic actually ranks really high up in priority because health is everything, you know, like once, you know, if you've got fairly good health right now, you want to do everything possible to protect that because without mm. it, like nothing else really matters. And, and the second point was to your driver point. I've just come back from Ghana with my wife and it was just like amazing, right? And a friend of ours who we stayed with, she is a YouTube creator and she's lived there with her husband and her kids. They used to live in Scotland and then they moved over to, to Ghana to live there. And I've got to say, Marv, like the quality of life they've got over there is pretty nice. They've got a driver, they've got like someone who cooks at home. And when you do the differentials in price, like they're, they're still living way cheaper over there in West Africa, in Ghana, um, and still earning their money in dollars and pounds and stuff. And so like the arbitrage is insane because like, you know, you still get all those perks you want, <laughs> but you get them in a much better, um, much better this quality. This is much, what yeah. is happening for me right now, yeah. okay, with South Africa. Yeah. Like it's really hard to turn off the awareness that yeah. I can live at a much more affordable rate and I can make way more change here than I do mm. back home. At home, mm. I get sucked into the rat race and I have to make mm. decisions constantly, um, whether it's about my purpose, my mission, my family, versus mm. how much money I make. So I think Gary Vee said this whole thing about there's no no such thing as work-life balance. There's just choices. Mm. And I was just like, I sat with that and I was like, you know what, I really like that because it's simple. And yep. um, sometimes I, I really complicate the things and I'm like, I know the life I can create here. And how, you know, it, you can make a lot of great things happen for your family here. The education, mm. um, the wealth, the health, the support network you can have. Like the idea of having a nanny, a chef, a driver in London. What percentage of income would you need to have Boy, that? You know, but having that. having that here is, is very, is, is possible. It's very possible. And yeah. It's 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 it's, it's, it's kind of unique. Like if you're somebody who isn't into those things, and like some people are very family centric and their work mm. is secondary. My work takes everything out of me. There's nothing left. My kids get everything else, 
Mm. And then like, I take care of myself with what's left, the 10% mm. of whatever of my energy mm-hmm. um, and recharging it and building it up from that bottom line that I, I keep on hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, there is nothing else. So all these comforts really matter to me. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I think for other people, they have other needs, but, you know, it's something that I'm really paying attention to. It is a desire of mine to live in a, in a on the continent for sure. Because I, mm-hmm. I just... I, I, my mind desire is more based on missing black people at every mm-hmm. level of society, mm-hmm. but also just if you can, if it's more affordable and, and it works out as safe and you just really want to make that consideration. Would you, would you make the leap yourself? Is that a part of the conversation for you? Do you know what? I, what I'm, the, the, the experience in Ghana really opened my eyes a lot because I, you know, I'm Nigerian born and bred and I, and, my, and we have roots down there, we've got family and stuff and we go down, you know, Every few years we go down. But going to a different African country for me was very important because I just wanted to, number one, just culturally experience what life was like in that in, in that country. But also just really ask myself important questions like, could I hire a team here? You know, like, could I actually live here if I wanted to? And the answer is yes, I could, you know, like, and, and the key to being able to do that is being able to run, for me personally, is being able to run a business that can operate globally in a way. So you want, you want really a, as someone's once said to me, what you really want to create is a small global brand, like something that can mm. operate um, globally, but it's not turned into like this big conglomerate, but it's actually still, you know, a, a business that you can, you can run, you know, if, yeah, manageable. Yeah. So, and so for me, that's always been the dream is how do I, how do I create a small global brand and the internet makes that possible, you know? And I think that's, what's very interesting about the conversation we're having is that for anyone who's listening right now, if you're thinking to yourself like, Oh, I might want to start a business or I might want to, what you really want is to create a small global brand. Ideally something that can operate online, something that like, you know, all you need are the key systems, your Google drives, your, you know, various bits of tech you need. And you've built good relationships and, and stuff like that, but you're able to actually have those conversations from anywhere in the world. Because then if you're able to get to that place, then there's nothing to say that you need to be in London or Manchester or wherever. You could be anywhere in the world you want. And that's kind of what I like. So for example, in August, we're off to Barbados. And I know that from Barbados, I can stay there and do. I can run our business. I can do anything I want to do in the same way as I could do it in South Africa or in Ghana or wherever. Mm. Um, so, and I think that's actually really, really appealing. Even for our community, like whenever anyone asks me, because a lot of people, I get many people message me and say, oh, oh, I'd like to start a business. What kind of business should I start? I always say to them, well, the internet gives you this idea, this concept of leverage through what you create. So if you're able to find a way of operating online, if possible, in mm. some capacity, um, it does make a difference because you can you can source help from all over the world and you can run that thing you're doing from all over the world as well. Powerful. Ken, thank you so much for everything. And I think to anybody that's listening that's got any food or got lots of food from this, they can definitely follow you. Where else can they find you, Ken? So you can find us, we're at The Humble Penny on all platforms. Instagram is a fun one. We're like uh, using Instagram. Uh, we're on YouTube uh, where we have uh, all our content, but also, we have a, a really popular blog at thehumblepenny.com where we write various articles and so on. And finally, I should mention we have a sister brand called Financial Joy Academy. You can check out 
such our core mission there to help at least 10,000 families become financially free this decade. So feel free to check it out over at financialjoyacademy.com. That's incredible. Thank you, Ken. Uh, and hopefully we get to hang out soon. I'm sure we'll do some sort of yeah. retreat or house gathering or dinner. Or I'm yeah, just going to drag you out because we have a mission to um, have more fun. So um, Yeah, no, I can't wait for it. Awesome. Thank you, Ken. Cheers. Dope Black Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.